Well, good morning, Mercy Hill. Uh, happy to see you guys again. Thanks for tuning in with us. Uh, we're going to continue in God's Word here in just a moment, but I did at least want to extend an invitation. I know um, Easter is not uh, what we would have hoped in terms of gathering all together in one place and celebrating our risen Lord. Uh, this year it's going to be a little different. We're probably going to do something very similar to this. Um, but still, nonetheless, we uh, invite you to join us. We encourage you to invite others to join you. Perhaps uh, you could set up things like Facebook watch parties or just uh, invite others online to, to, to watch together and engage together. Uh, I trust that even still it will be an encouraging time for all of us. Uh, but if you're tuning in from outside of Mercy Hill, my name's Nick and I'm the lead pastor here. And I'll be uh, getting us into God's word uh, right now. We've been in a series uh, ever since the coronavirus thing hit. Uh, thought it would be good to step outside the Gospel of Luke, uh, which was kind of the series we were running and have been running for a while, and just kind of meditate for a little while on actually what's the most frequent command in all the Bible, um, taken in various forms. And that's the, the command, do not be afraid. Um, and so what we've been doing in this series entitled, Do Not Be Afraid, is actually just kind of dropping into various places in the scriptures where uh, that command or, or something uh, similar to it uh, appears. That's what we're going to be doing again this morning, and we're actually going to take one of the probably more famous instances of this uh, command, and it's probably, if you are familiar with the Bible, it's probably that's already been kind of encouraging you in this time uh, as you've been kind of dealing with the, the pandemic and the other stuff that's been just shuffling around in your life and some of the chaos. Uh, I bet uh, a number of you have already been thinking about Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Uh, we're going to read this here together uh, and I'll pray for our time, and we will uh, dive in. But let me, let me read this. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, I should say this is Paul writing to the church there in Philippi. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And here it is. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Would you pray with me? Lord, right now, we just confess together we are prone to be anxious. These days have, in particular, stirred that sort of stuff up in our hearts. Some of us 
may feel like we've kind of battled it down a bit and feeling good for the moment. Others of us uh, maybe are in the throes of anxiety right now and feeling like we don't know up from down and we're just turned all, all over, tangled up inside. God, I pray that right now, through our time together, as we meditate on your word and your spirit accompanies the bringing of your word, would you come and in place of anxiety, put peace in the hearts of your people. Let everyone tuning in find that, man, they came in with just kind of burdens and feeling the weight of anxiety and they, they left, they ended feeling a little lighter, feeling like, wow, I think God just took some of that from me. And there's a strange but comforting peace in its place. God, I pray you would do that and more uh, for your glory and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen. Okay, so you see the command that uh, we're interested in, in particular, show up there in verse six. And I kind of uh, made note of that as we came across it. But you'll notice Paul says this, right? Do not be anxious. Now, that's not do not be afraid, technically, right? But if you will grant it to me, I'd say it's probably do not be afraid's close cousin. In fact, at, at bottom, it essentially means the same thing. Uh, it's just saying, listen, this is an anxious-filled, a, a worry-filled, a, a fear-filled place. We're going to be prone to be anxious. We're going to be prone to be afraid. You don't need to be. You don't need to be. Do not be anxious, Paul says. And even as I was praying, you kind of probably got a sense of what I consider and what Paul would here be considering the, the opposite of anxiety. If we're to say, okay, do not be anxious, what should we be? Uh, well, the answer, according to Paul here, is clearly uh, at peace. We should not be anxious. We should be experiencing Peace, that is the opposite of anxiety. And as we kind of look more closely at our text, what we notice is that Paul and God clearly are trying to help us move from a place of anxiety to a place of peace. And what's interesting is though anxiety kind of stands in the background of this text, it, it seems to me clearly that uh, peace is in fact the focus and the goal of these Words And I think this is signaled to by the fact that um, the word itself actually and the idea shows up twice in our text. And each time it's at the end of one of Paul's paragraphs. Each time it's kind of at the climax point of the logic of his thought, if you notice. So he'll, he'll say, uh, hey, here's a few things you need to do. And if you do those things, there will be peace. And oh, here's a few more things that you can do. And if you do those things, there'll be peace. Peace. So it's clearly the focal point and the goal to move us from anxiety to peace. And I'll just point out those places where you see them. Verse 7, he says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he comes down again in verse 9 and brings up peace again. And the God of peace will be with you. 
So peace is clearly the issue here, the focus here, though he's got to deal with our anxiety to get us there. Um, And what's, I think, supremely helpful about this text is that if we look at it a little bit closer, what we're going to find is that Paul, uh, it seems to me, is actually laying out a pathway, as it were. He's trying to get us from anxiety to peace, and he's showing us the way. He's showing us the path. He lays out steps, as it were, that we can take, that you and I can take, even in the midst of the pandemic and all the stuff going on around us right now. We can take these steps today and find ourselves moving away from anxiety, worry, fear, to that place of peace. And this is why uh, I chose the title for the sermon that I did. Do not be afraid. Peace has a pathway. Peace has a pathway. There's a way, and God is showing us here, that we can move towards peace in Christ. Now, um, I think um, if there was probably anything that we're all longing for, starving for, in given the current context and all that's been shaken up and uh, with the, the pandemic and all of its uh, various implications, the way that it's kind of disrupted our rhythms, altered our lives, perhaps even hurt people that we know, whether that's financially, physically, and whatnot, I am sure that if there's anything we are starving for in these moments, it is peace. It's Peace. I wonder if anyone is feeling afraid. I wonder if, if anyone is feeling anxious. I wonder if anyone is longing for peace. Now, I think sometimes, at least my experience of anxiety has been this way, uh, sometimes we tend to feel like we are helpless victims of anxiety. Uh, like there's nothing we can really do but just try to hang on, let it pass, and, 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 and then kind of get through it. Um, in fact, one of the things we find and by virtue of just kind of the very nature of anxiety is that when we're in the middle of it, we don't see a way out. out. We, we don't see a way forward. We don't know left from right, up from down. We're turned around, twisted up. That's kind of what anxiety does to us. In fact, um, I think of the cover uh, of uh, a book that I've been referencing, and I'll reference again today, uh, on the subject of anxiety by Ed Welch called Running Scared. And on the cover, I think it just captures this idea of anxiety perfectly because there's a guy, as you would expect, running, and he's scared. But what's, what, what's on top of this picture is it's almost like, I don't know if you've ever had something that you've, uh, you know, maybe a, a painting or, or a, a important paper on, on the table and your kid got a hold of a crayon. And they just kind of go, go take scribbles to it. And you're like, no, I needed that. Well, that's kind of what uh, is actually over top of this guy's face in the photograph. It's as if someone took a crayon or a marker and just scribbled on top of his head so that you can't even see his face anymore. And the idea is this is what's going on inside of his mind. This is what it's like to be caught in the throes of anxiety. You're just all tangled up. Things are dark. You can't see left from right. And you're just running, scared, even though you don't know where you're running to. So we can often feel disoriented and overwhelmed and confused. We don't know the way out when we're in the throes of anxiety. And that's why I think, again, this text is so 
helpful to us and so relevant at a time like this because what Paul does is he cuts through the confusion and he says, okay, I know you want to move from anxiety to peace. Let me show you the path forward. Let me give you some steps you can take even in the middle of it, even when you're feeling overwhelmed and disoriented. Let me give you a few steps you can take, you can manage to start to move out of this and move forward. So I see in our text three steps in particular along this pathway to peace. Uh, this morning, I'm going to bring out actually just the first uh, like one and a half steps, if you will, and I'll circle back after Easter Sunday, and we'll, we'll tackle part two of this message. There's just too much I wanted to say to try to cram it all into one. Um, but let me give you those three steps all up front now. Um, first one, step number one, is this idea of pray. Pray. And that you see especially in verse six of our text. Step number two, ponder, ponder. That's what you see especially in verse eight of our text. And finally, step number three, practice. That's what comes out especially in verse nine where Paul says the things that you've learned, the things that you've seen and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So all of these things, pray, ponder, practice, kind of are, are, are steps along the way to peace. So we're going to look at these steps one by one, and then next time when we come back together in part two, I'll kind of land on further reflection about the idea of peace as it's presented here in uh, Philippians 4. With that, uh, you can actually pause your uh, TV, your computer, your screen, whatever, and uh, consider the questions under pause point number one. All right, welcome back. So now the first uh, step in this path that we're gonna be taking a look at is this idea of, of pray. We can pray, and that's what comes out in verse six. I want you to look at that with me um, right now. And this is actually really the step that kind of comes immediately off of the command, do not be anxious, right? So we read this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, there are two observations that I want to make at this point. The first is derived more just from experience in general, and the second is derived uh, from this text in particular. So observation number one, we are always talking. We are always talking. Now, this is something I have actually, if you've been around Mercy Hill uh, for any time, I've brought this up before, but I think it's important, and I think it, it's, it's worth looking at again here um, this morning. Um, the idea, we are always talking. I'm not, I'm not saying that our, our mouths are always going here. What I am saying is that internally, at least, in our minds, in our hearts, we are always talking. We are thinking about this. We are considering that. We're reflecting on yesterday. We're planning for tomorrow. We are always engaged in some sort of talk in our hearts and in our minds as we're kind of going throughout our day. It's as if there's this kind of ongoing inner monologue. And 
what we find is that this monologue actually kind of trends towards anxiety a lot of times. Uh, it starts to create this sort of feedback loop where, where there's like this shrillness uh, in our thoughts and in our minds, and, and we kind of get lost in the noise. It kind of builds on itself if we're not careful. It kind of starts to spiral and cycle back until we find there's this sort of feedback, this anxiety. Um, we're busy talking within ourselves, to ourselves, about ourselves, we very, very easily end up caving in on ourselves. So let me play this out for you a little bit. Uh, I wonder if any of this will kind of seem familiar. I just kind of, here's some ideas of what may be going on in our hearts. Uh, what should I do if this happens? What, what should I do if that happens? Why did my boss look at me that way this morning over the Zoom call? Am I the next one on the chopping block? Why do things seem distant with my spouse? Why does he or she seem cold? What did I do? Did I do something wrong? Are they trying to tell me something? Are they, are they, are they engaged in, 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 in something inappropriate with someone else? What is, and the mind starts to roll, right? Or my kids, Gosh, I look around and I, I, I see other kids at school and at church and I watch how well behaved they are and then I, I, I look at my own and I think, what has gone wrong? What have I done? Why can I not pull my act together as a mother and make this thing work? Speaking of school, when is it gonna start again? I thought maybe it, this was gonna be a two, three week thing and I could handle that, but now they're talking about months or now the school year's actually canceled and I don't think I can manage this. I don't know what I'm going to do. Where are my keys? Why can't I seem to find my keys? Am I, am I getting dementia? Am I getting Alzheimer's like my mom got? I think it is starting to set in on me. You maybe this one was one that we were thinking about the other day. Uh, bringing home the groceries from the store. Listen, I'm too tired to try to do what they're telling me to do and actually kind of clean them off and, and, and disinfect everything. Well, now I'm worried. And so, are my kids going to get sick? Is my wife going to get sick? Are we, gonna, are we already sick? We didn't wear a mask to the store. And, 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 and now the CDC is saying we all should be wearing masks. And I, I'm worried about this situation. I don't know what's going to happen. How long is this going to go on? What day is it? I don't even know anymore. You kind of start to spiral out, right? I wonder if any of that sounds familiar to you. Sometimes this is the sort of stuff that keeps going on inside of our hearts and minds without us even realizing it. This is why a while back, um, I, I preached a few messages on what I call the sacred path. And I was just talking there about what it looks like to approach God in, in prayer and, and in, in his word and the scriptures. And I say one of the first things that I think is important that we do is practice the spiritual discipline of silence. Silence. Because here's what I've noticed, at least in myself, we aren't aware of how much we're talking until we actually try to be quiet. And I'm not just talking about quiet your mouth. We all can do that okay, some of us better than others. But man, when you try to be quiet in here, 
what happens is, is as you try to, try to move into a sort of silence and stillness before God, you will recognize that there are all sorts of things going on in your heart. You will start to tune into what I maybe would call this frequency of fret that's going on in here that maybe before, moments before, you didn't even realize was playing out. This frequency of fret, our anxieties, they're, they're always abuzz with conversation always chittering and, and, and chattering, and they just have this horrible tendency of spinning inward on themselves, of creating that feedback loop, and we kind of get sucked into the, the spiral of it. Now, um, just to kind of illustrate this, Levi, I'll give him baths, right? And, and uh, he, you know, loves the bath, but then the time comes where we got to pull the plug to the tub, and and that's the moment where the, my little boy jumps up and wants to get out as fast as he can because he's scared somehow or other. I think, I'm not sure if I told him this as a joke. I don't know. He's scared that he can get sucked down into, there's kind of that tornado, he calls it, that forms right there, that cyclone of water. And he's scared he's gonna get sucked down. It's gonna somehow grab a hold of his ankle and pull him under. And so he jumps up and into the towel before the tornado forms. And then we like to watch it together. But Here's the point with anxiety. That sort of cyclone or tornado can be going on inside of our hearts as it just kind of cycles around and around, getting stronger, pulling us in. It's actually, where, where Levi, it's just kind of an imagined threat. For us, this is a legitimate threat. We can cave in on ourselves. We are always talking. And so rarely are we even aware of it. So the question that emerges here then is what do we do? Once we start to tune into this frequency of fret uh, and this feedback loop and all this stuff, what do we do to get out of it? What does it look like to take a step towards the peace of God? Now with this, obviously we come here to Paul's remedy there in verse six and we come to the second observation that I wanted to make, namely, that we can and should be always talking with God. Well, it's true that we are always talking. It's not true that we are always talking with God, and what Paul is trying to say is, listen, take those anxieties, take that ongoing chatter, take that feedback loop, and let God into it. Turn it outwards uh, uh, and upwards towards him. And things will start to change. Pray, pray. Look at verse six again. It begins like this. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, pause. Don't pause your TV. <laughs> pause your minds, pause your thought. Hold on, I wanna stay there for a moment. Let that land on you. He says, do not be anxious about anything, anything. And we look at that and we say, seriously, nothing. We should not be worried about anything. That's the command to us. It sounds so pie in the sky, so idealistic, so impossible. Seriously, how in the world is that Possible. What am I supposed to do with this inner monologue that's always spinning in my heart and mind? Well, he gives us the answer as we go, right? But in 
everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. In other words, talk to God about it. Take that conversation, take that monologue, and turn it into dialogue with your creator and your redeemer. The one who is there, the one who, like we saw with Hagar, hears, the one who cares, the one who can help. Now, here's what I think is so powerful when you note the correlation between anything and everything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer, come to God and talk about it. So here's the idea, really, when you put the two together. How is it that we're not anxious about anything? Answer, we talk to God about everything. That is Paul's remedy. That is the first step along this pathway to peace, prayer. And this is so important, I think, because uh, a lot of times we can actually forget that God doesn't just kind of put up with us in our anxieties, put up with us in our fears and our struggles. He actually invites us to talk. It's not like he's going, man, you're worried about this again. When are we going to get over this? We've been through it. No, he invites us to talk to him about everything. That's what it means. If you're worried about it, he wants to hear about it. It's an incredible thought, because here's what can happen. A lot of times, we want to move straight to step two along this path. We bypass step one and think, you know what? We got to go straight to verse eight and start putting our mind on the, on the truth. Like, like, it's just some sort of cognitive thing, and, and if I get my mind on the right truth, then I'll feel at peace again. Think happy thoughts, and eventually my heart will follow suit. Whatever is pure, whatever is honorable, let's go there, let's talk about it. So therefore, I don't want to like look at the scary stuff. I don't want to even think about it. I don't want to journal about it. I don't even want to go there. And it almost ends up this sort of denial game that we play. You get enough people in, in a church that kind of buy into that distortion, that God doesn't want to hear about your anxieties, that God doesn't want to hear about your fears. In fact, that stuff is a sign that you're a bad Christian. And I'm going to rebuke you for saying that. And let me give you a, what I'd call a Bible Band-Aid. Uh, put that over top of it, and then it'll kind of fix things. Let's throw Romans 8.28 on there. That one's always good. I mean, God works all things for good. Why are you worried? If you believe Romans 8.28, you wouldn't be worried. Therefore, put that thought in your mind. Set your mind upon that, like Paul says, and then you'll have peace. And you're going, man, I'm not there yet. I want to be. But here's what happens. You get enough people in a church that have kind of bought into this distortion, handing out Bible band-aids, thinking happy thoughts. What you eventually get is a culture in a church that's just fake and phony. And, and, and you don't know how to deal with what's really going on in your heart because you think you're not supposed to talk about it. You think it's not appropriate. It, it, it deserves rebuke to, to air out some of these things that are going on. So you cover the wound. You put that Bible Band-Aid over it, but it's festering underneath. And you get people that learn how to smile wide even while they're breaking down inside. You get people who learn how to raise their hands in worship and lift up an alleluia even when they wish they could be on the floor in a heap crying. Or you get people that learn how to talk the Christian talk as they kind of dance around the stuff, the, the anxieties and burdens that are just really going on in their hearts and in their lives. It's a horrible thing to jump over step one straight to step two. No way. 
It's a horrible thing to start moving in that direction. In fact, it's an unbiblical thing, and I want you to hear that. God in our text is not inviting, or I'm sorry, is inviting us, even commanding us to talk to him about everything that we're worried about. In fact, he says that's the only remedy. You wanna know how you're not anxious about anything? You talk to me about everything. This is the essential step on the pathway to peace. And you've gotta truly name what you're feeling. You gotta process and, and, and get it out and you do it with the Lord. You do it in his presence through prayer and supplication, letting your requests be made known. Now, if you are not yet buying into what I'm saying, if you feel like you need another witness here because Moses says in the book of Deuteronomy that a charge cannot be established apart from the witness of at least two, uh, two people, uh, let me give you another witness because here Peter says exactly the same thing, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Here it is, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. There it is again, and you've got to hear it. It's not some of your anxieties that God wants. It's all of them. He is essentially saying to you, and I want you to hear this. He is essentially saying to you, I want you to burden me with your burdens. I want you to take what you're weighed down by and put it on me. Cast all your cares on me. And of course this is what Jesus is gonna say. I mean, he's the God of the cross. What is the cross? But God himself come down in the flesh to take our burdens on himself, take them down to the grave, right? Pay the penalty for them, rise, so that they're not on us anymore. We're free. We're free. And in the same way, he says, in prayer, the God of the cross is calling to you. Come and unburden yourselves. What's burdening you, burden me with it. I want it. Talk to me about it. Now, an important thing to recognize in all of this is that God does not condemn us for being anxious. He knows we will be. Uh, in fact, his main concern in all of this is not whether or not we, we, we are anxious, but where, where we're going to go, where we go when we're anxious. D does that make sense? That is a very important distinction. Uh, God does not condemn us for struggling and our, you know, our fears and our anxieties. His concern is not that we're anxious. His concern is where are you gonna go when you're anxious? Where are you gonna turn for help? Are you just gonna kind of spin inward and try to find you know, some new idol that maybe will match it or, or help you escape or help you solve it or whatever it is? Or are you gonna turn to me? That's what I care about. Where are you going with your anxiety? I know you got them. Ed Welch writes wonderfully on this point in that book I referenced earlier, Running Scared. He says this, is it wrong to be afraid? Is it sinful? I love what he does. He just kind of leaves it there because honestly, 
uh, like Oswald Chambers says, it can be this sort of unconscious blasphemy. Or anxiety says, can God, you know, is God, can God really be trusted? And is he really going to come through? So in some sense, yes, anxiety is a sin, right? And we get that. But here's what he does. Is it wrong to be afraid? Is it sinful? Maybe. But put these questions on hold. The emphasis in Scripture is, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Psalm 56, 3. The issue isn't so much whether or not we are afraid and worry. Scripture assumes that we will be afraid and anxious at times. What is important is where we turn or to whom we turn when we are afraid. That's the main concern God has for you right now as you're dealing with anxiety. Not that you're anxious, so buck up and get over it because you're a sinner. No, but where are you going to go with it? I want to help. I want to help. And this is ironic when you really think about it, because a lot of times we stiffen our upper lip, and, and we kind of don't bring a lot of our stuff, don't turn the monologue to dialogue, because we kind of don't want to bother God. We don't think he cares. It's too small. He's too busy. Whatever it may be. You know, we can handle this part on our own. We'll bring him the big stuff. We don't want to offend him. We don't want to bother him. But actually, what you find in Scripture is that when we stiffen our upper lip and don't come to him with these little things, that's actually what offends and bothers him. <laughs> that's what makes things go awry. That's what is the problem. When we don't turn to him with them, he doesn't want his children acting like orphans when they have a heavenly father leaning into here. Now, let me move us forward in this a little bit more. Um, N.T. Wright, in a recent and controversial article uh, for Time Magazine, he's a pretty prominent New Testament scholar, and he, he wrote about the importance of the biblical category of lament, uh, especially in times like the ones that we're facing right now as a, a nation and as a world. And um, I will say, I, I actually agree with many of the critiques that have been kind of um, uh, brought against him uh, with regard to this article, but there is one thing, one very significant thing that he gets right, um, and it's this. He reminds us in this article that it's okay not to be okay. He reminds us that we actually need to come to God just as we are in the confusion, in, in the fear and anxiety, with the tears and, and the doubts and all of these things. And God is kind of this place that we can run to with those things. We can lament in the presence of God. And he's kind of calling us to this in this article. And one of the things he does to try to support his case, that this is very important and I would agree, is he goes back to uh, the Psalms where we see this happening all the time, this idea of lamenting and, and speaking to God about every anxiety and the stuff that's burdening you. So he quotes Psalm 6-2. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Psalm 10.1, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13.1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 22, verse 1, which even Jesus himself actually quotes from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Of course, this is just a sampling of many, many, many psalms and places in the scriptures where you see the same sort of thing happening. Just, just people unburdening themselves before God, going, God, I'm really struggling here. I'm having a very hard time with what's going on. Where are you? I don't understand. And they're just speaking to God like that. And the thing that's so amazing that we have to see is that these men are not rebuked for, for talking to God about their anxieties like this. In fact, they're held up as examples, as models. And the church, especially in the, in the Psalms, right? the church is invited to sing these words to God along with the psalmist. So the idea is, God is helping us move into step one of the pathway of peace by giving us words to lament with and showing us it is okay to come to him with these things. He wants to hear. The only way you won't be anxious about anything is if you talk to him about everything. Now, the problem with Wright's article, um, as has been pointed out by many, and I, I, I agree, um, the problem is that he kind of leaves us in the place of lament. And he, he actually kind of feels like, uh, kind of at least the sense you get from the article is, maybe we can't go any further than just kind of sitting there in his presence and crying. Uh, maybe we don't really know what's going to happen or what God is up to. Maybe we shouldn't even try to go there or, 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 or hope. We, we just need to stay in that place uh, of lamenting. But that's not, well, uh, let, me, let me show you, actually. In fact, you kind of get a sense of this from his title. Um, the title of the article, in case you didn't want to read it, is Christianity Offers No Answers About the Coronavirus. It's not supposed to. So it is, you're not going to be able to figure out what God's doing. We don't know what good or, or this or that's going to come from it. So, but you can sit in his presence and you can cry. Right, You can sit in his presence and you can cry. But the, in my opinion, what he's doing is, is he's actually holding us back from step two. He's holding us back from a very important next step along the pathway to peace. And it's the step that Paul himself starts to show us as we continue reading in Philippians 4. Because what we see is that Paul does not leave us in the place of lament. He does not leave us in this sort of uncertain and ambiguous place where we're just kind of crying and that's all we can do and we'll see what happens. No, he starts to move us forward. He starts to move us towards the idea of hope and bedrock realities that we can set our minds on and things like this. This is why, by the way, even in this opening call to pray and talk to God about our anxieties, Paul surprisingly, even stunningly, brings up this idea of gratitude. I wonder if you noticed it. It just kind of seemed almost like in from, from, from uh, left field uh, when all of a sudden he says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and that is profound, because here's what he's saying. Here's the clear implication. This is not just think positive thoughts. What he's saying is, 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 is look at me, Christian. Even though you are anxious, and it seems like all is falling apart, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there are things that God is doing that you can give him thanks for. You can rest assured God is on the move even in the midst of this. Therefore, 
while you're pouring out your, your troubles and your anxieties, be on the look as well for things that you can thank him for because I will tell you it's there and he's there. He's up to good even in all of these things. And he'll soon, God will, begin to help us kind of set our minds on these things, on the good and on the true. And we'll find ourselves able to kind of shift and start to plant our foot from, from the first step now to the, to, to the second step. And uh, that's where we're going to head next. But at this point, you can uh, pause and consider the questions under pause point number two. I'll see you in a moment. All right, welcome back. Now we move into step number two and this idea of ponder. So we pray and now we ponder. And this is what comes out in particular in verse eight of Philippians four. Let me read it again for us. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, before we kind of step towards that text a little bit more, I should say this. Um, there is actually a way to pray that does not uh, move you towards peace, but actually can kind of tend to make things even worse and, and make you cave in. It's just an extended version of this inner monologue, but we're just kind of sounding off in God's presence. Here's what I mean. Um, it's the sort of prayer where you come and you're only interested in being heard. You're not interested in the slightest in hearing God. So we come sometimes to prayer and we want God to hear us. We want God to do our bidding. We, we want to vent, simply to just vent. We want to give him a piece of our mind or whatever it may be. But we're not interested in the slightest in hearing what he has to say. That's the sort of prayer that will not get you anywhere. It's not what Paul is talking about here, the, the one directional prayer. It's again, it's just an extended idea of that monologue. It's just now we're sounding off in God's presence and letting him hear us, but we're not interested in actually dialogue, which is what Paul and what I'm calling us to hear. Because here's what we find when we move in the other direction, uh, when we uh, when we actually start to say, no, 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 I don't just want to sound off in God's presence. When we say, listen, I know you want to hear me, and God, I want to hear you. Show me what's up. Reorient my heart. Tell me where you are. What's going on? When we come to God with that heart, when we pray in that way, then all of a sudden, everything changes, and God can come in, and he can speak, and he can kind of untangle what's been going on for us or for us, and he can kind of realign our hearts with 
reality. He can show us those things that we can be thankful for. He can lead us to the sort of stuff that Paul talks about here in verse 8. He can shift our minds so that we're thinking about those things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. Paul just kind of heaps up various words and categories to make his point here that there are good things, things of God that we can think about, that we can set our minds upon and what God's going to do as we come to him in in the mess of our prayer life and, and we lay out our anxieties and we invite him to come and help. We cry out for it. What God's going to do is he's going to kind of calm the spit and the foam of our hearts. He's going to, excuse me, He's going to kind of pierce through that feedback loop I was talking about. He's going to, he's going to um, um, help with that frequency of fret and kind of cut through that and tune us into a different frequency. Frequency of his spirit, of his word and his truth and, and, and the gospel and, and, and things like this, sturdier realities that we can truly uh, rest upon, that we can truly anchor our soul to in times of storm. Now, again, if there was ever a time when we needed this most, uh, it would probably be now, right? So if we're moving from prayer to pondering, from crying out to God to having him set our minds on the truths of God and the things of God, if ever there was a time where we needed that most, I think it would be now, right? I think it would probably be now that we're most tempted to kind of let our minds kind of wander, let our anxieties run loose. We start settling down. If you're not careful, your mind starts settling down into all manner of of what ifs and frightening prospects, right? Like, what if that happens? What if anybody else been doing this? I can just tell you for myself, I will go through the day uh, relatively... um, you know, feeling relatively good and, and at peace with God. And then uh, at, n- at night, you know, Megan and I, uh, you know, we want to stay up to date. And so we'll put on the evening news and we'll watch. And as the realities come and as the news is coming and we're hearing what's going on, in the, it's like at the end of it, I'm, I've lost myself entirely. I'm going, I-, I think the world as we know it is over, Right. And the anxiety, you can just kind of feel it build with each passing minute. And, and again, what we learn is that God does not want us to just therefore turn off the TV and, and, and play the denial game. Oh, no, no, no. We're not worried about it because we're not thinking about it and we're denying it. No, no, no. That's not the point. The point is take those anxieties and the stuff, and this is what we've seen, and, then, and watch that. Deal with reality right in front of us like the coronavirus and things. Deal with those realities but in the presence of God. Come to him and and talk to him. Air out those things. Name those fears and let him start to show you where he's at in the middle of it. Let him help you locate him and the sturdier realities that Paul is calling us to set our minds on here. Let him him, uh, come in and help us locate those so that we can find ourselves, again, taking steps not towards greater fear and anxiety, but towards the peace of God. 
So the question that we need to ask then is what are these sturdier realities that I'm talking about? What are these things that Paul is calling us to set our minds on, to think about? Uh, what is this stuff that's true and just and lovely and all of these things? What is Paul referring to? Now, there may be all sorts of different ways you could go about trying to answer this. I think probably the clearest is to look in, at the context, to read this statement, this exhortation, in context. And really what we understand is that uh, Philippians 4 and this exhortation comes at the very end of this letter to this church in Philippi. And in this letter up to this point, Paul has already expounded on many, many, many stable, sturdy realities upon which you and I can set our minds. And it's probably what he was thinking about is he said, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. Don't let your mind wander into all this stuff. Put your mind here. Put your mind on the stuff that I've just laid out before you. That's the stuff that's pure and honorable and, and, and excellent and all of these things and true. Go there. So what I want to do is actually go there for a moment with you. And um, on the whole, I, I'm, I'm going to draw out three of these sturdy realities that I think surface prominently in the book of Philippians, but this morning I'm really just going to look at the first, and we'll kind of pick back up, like I said, next time with these other two, and we'll make our way to uh, step number three in the idea of practicing. But for now, I want to bring out just one of these sort of realities upon which we can think and set our mind and we can kind of hook the anchor of our soul to and find stability in the midst of the chaos and the anxiety. So sturdy reality number one, I would identify it as this, sovereign grace, sovereign grace. And this idea, while it's all over this epistle, I think comes out most clearly in Philippians 1, verses 6 to the first part of verse 7. So let me read this. I mean, this is, this is some of the cream of the scriptures. This is probably one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It has helped me find the peace of God on countless occasions, and I hope it helps you even now. Paul writes this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. I mean, you let your mind go there and things start to change. I wonder if you heard it. I, I want to help you hear this and even think about it in terms of the context of the Philippians here. The church, we understand um, from the epistle itself, was facing some kind of circumstance and, and trial. Um, Paul, in, in Philippians 1, 27 through 30, speaks of their temptation to give in to fear. He speaks about this conflict that they had with unbelievers in the areas around them and, and, and the opposition that they were facing and the persecution that came from it. He talks about how they have been set apart to suffer for the sake of Christ. So we know that there are all sorts of things they are dealing with. 
that there's all sorts of temptations to go the route of anxiety, to get off of this pathway to peace and say, I'm done. I, I, I gotta figure it out myself or whatever. Maybe he knows that. And so he, he's loading this epistle with these sturdier realities so that when he comes back to Philippians 4 and says, think about what's true. Think about what's honorable. He can point us back. Our mind's gonna go back to these things he's already said. I go, wow, no way. In many ways, it's a lot like us, I imagine, where we're facing these things and in the, in the, in the midst of the trial and the temptations, right, there's this tendency to set our mind not on the truths of God, but on other stuff. So take the Philippians, for example. When you're dealing with suffering, when you're dealing with persecution, when things don't work out right, uh, they're just like us. They're, they're probably thinking something along these lines. If they were gonna set their mind somewhere, this might be where they'd set their mind. God has abandoned me. God is not here. I, I guess we're left now to fend for ourselves. We heard the gospel that Paul preached when he came through some you know, time ago, and we gave our lives to Christ. We thought it would go better for us. It's just made it worse. Clearly, the God that Paul talked about, this God of grace and love, is nowhere to be found. If he is real, he has left us. That's a place where the mind might go. That's something they might think about, Right? And Paul instead is pushing back on that. And God's gonna use these words of Paul to push back on that as the Philippian church takes their anxieties and they pray and they pour them out. God will bring these truths to his mind. Philippians 1.6 says in essence, listen, I begin the work. I grabbed a hold of you. My grace was given to you. And I am not the type to just kind of default on what I begin. I will bring it to completion. I have not left you. I will not abandon you. I am right here working, even if you don't immediately see it, and I will continue to do so. Now, you let that kind of settle in in the midst of the chaos. You pray, you come to him with your anxieties, and you, you let him shift your mind to these sturdier realities. I am telling you, you will start to find, in place of anxiety, peace, the peace of God. So I'd encourage you, anchor your soul onto that reality even uh, this week. Take Philippians 1, 6 and just put it on your fridge, put it in your day planner, put it on your screensaver, whatever you look at, all that, put it there. And as you're going through, facing the anxieties and the stuff that's all around, the temptations, set your mind on that. Come to God and say, I'm not believing it, I'm struggling, help me. And let him start to set your mind, root your soul deep in those stable things. And I love to hear testimonies about how God, in the middle of crazy, brought peace to you and to me. So with that, um, I'm gonna pray here in a moment. Um, in fact, yeah, let me pray. Uh, no, you know what? You go ahead and, and one of you can, uh, in your home or, or you personally, can just pray even now to close us and then uh, move on to pause point number three and consider those questions together. Love you guys, miss you, hope to see you soon.